You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Cut the power. How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. I watched it too with trackers. It's an eight-foot creature of some kind with acid for blood, and it arrived on your spaceship. It kills on sight and is generally unpleasant. It's a queen. How did you know that? She'll breed. You'll die. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to episode two where we are going to look at the mercifully, for only a short time, known film Alien 2. Because for a little while it was called Alien 2, wasn't it? Yeah, well there was, a, there was an Italian knockoff. That, that was known as Alien Two, um, which I don't know if you saw. It was um, it was alternately called Alien on Earth, and it was set in a cave system. It was terrible. But I remember renting that as Alien Two and being so excited. What you genuinely thought it was Alien Two? I, I thought it was Alien Two. I did, you know, at early days of video like this, you I you didn't have the knowledge you have now. So it's like you see this thing, Alien Two. Oh no, it's load of rubbish. It was terrible. I'd like to get hold of it, just to watch it again, to have some nostalgia. But yeah, it was some some sort of alien thing in a cave system. Um, but it, it was awful. But yeah, that so so for for a while there was an alien too. But yeah, that when this was coming out, there was uh, quite a bit of sort of um, pre-publicity, wasn't there? And it, it, people were calling it Alien Two, because um, it's weird to think that there's what seven years. Was it 86, this, wasn't it? 86, yeah. Yeah, so seven but... years. That's a long time not between sequel, uh, between first and sequel, isn't it? Yes, you yeah. Know? And do you remember what you thought when you first heard, you know, that they're going to be making a sequel to Alien? Yeah, I, I thought... I was sort of in mixed minds. I thought, oh, well, they're never going to be able to match it. So I loved, loved Alien, even before Aliens. Um and I thought they're never going to match it. And then I think the first, the first sort of images I saw of it, were, was the shot of um, the alien in the water with uh, with Newt. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, oh my god, this is going to be so good. Um, and then uh, that I, I don't think I had the Starlog magazine before the film because I went into the film pretty. I didn't know anything about the plot other than they went to the alien's planet. Because I thought, oh, they're going to the alien's home planet. And it's like, it's not. Um, so yeah, I, I went in completely blind. I was really lucky, actually, because because I was working at the cinema, I was invited to go to the press showing. Not at our cinema, because it was at the, the big ABC. Mm-hmm. And I got invited along to the press showing. So there was like me and a couple of hardened, bored journos <laughs> watching it in this entirely empty cinema. It was the nicest way to see it. Mm. It was really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I remember being um, just blown away by it. Yeah. I thought it was was excellent. 
Yeah, I, I can remember I'm, I, at that point, I wasn't as jaded as I am now about, no. oh, there's another one, because we hadn't reached that point of, you know, the law of diminishing returns no. on, Mo- on, most on se- sequels. Yeah, most sequels up to that point had been okay, haven't they? You know, Star Trek 2, excellent. Mad Max 2, um, Yeah, so, yeah, there wasn't this over-milking of sequels that you, you sort of... You got later in the eighties, nineties, and certainly now. No, um, no, and also a big factor was, you know, when they said that uh, not only would Sigourney Weaver be back, but yeah. James Cameron would be doing it because, of course, the Terminator yes. had been and gone. And I loved the first Terminator, so it's yeah. like, oh, the guy who did the Terminator is going to be doing it. I think we're going to be all right. Yeah. Well, again, at that point, there was only the Terminator. Yes. Wasn't there? And that, yeah, that was a, a, a classy film i mean we didn't even think of it back then as low budget or anything it was just a great terminator was a great film so yeah i I was quite excited that james cameron was doing it Mm. um because yeah there wasn't really anything connected to him anything bad i mean not that there's anything bad now but he's you know he's got a bit of a reputation now but uh yeah we didn't know any of that back then we were young young and naive um, parallel lives, Jen. Ian, parallel lives. Yeah. Yet again, um, anybody who listens to our other podcasts know that Ian and I, though we, you know, we're living hundreds of miles away, have these eerily parallel things we, happen in our life. I think we were a clone experiment by the uh, something happened. The yeah, government. Yeah, we? yeah. Something was happening because you say press screening. Yeah. I went to the press Did screening. You? Oh, right. Yeah, oh. and I can tell you that it was on a Tuesday. Right, that you went to that press screening uh, because I went to the one in London. Oh, um, was that in um, Leicester Square? Was it? Yeah, the Odeon Leicester Square. Um, Now, if you don't mind, Ian and listener, uh, can I tell you my story? Because I've got a bit of an epic story about how I watched Aliens for the first time. Does it involve you meticulously telling us what trains you've got? It's it's train it's train related. Oh, I knew that. It is train. Right, strap in, folks. This isn't going to be as exciting as a drop ship visit to a planet. But here we go. This is my visit to go and see Aliens. Are you ready? Ready. I'm, I'm excited now. Are you sitting comfortably? Vaguely. All right, right. Well, let me take you back to 1986, and maybe a couple of years before. Uh, I used to go up to London quite a lot, you know, every like yeah. three or four weeks, pick up my comics and stuff like that from Forbidden Planet. Um, no internet at, back then? No internet, in no no yeah. local comic shop. Yeah, you had to get, get on the train and go up to London if you wanted to buy your American yeah. comics and, and what have you, right? And around that time, mid-'80s, I was quite pally with Alan Jones. Do you know who Alan oh, Jones yes. is? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what mag- he's connected to a magazine, isn't he? Starburst. Starburst, that's it. At the time, I think yeah. He- Starlogger. No, that's a no, no, no. Um, he he was a film critic. Yeah. He still is a film critic. I, th- I think he started working on, on uh, off working for Cine Fantastique. He was like the UK. Yeah correspondent and uh, very knowledgeable guy you know as I say author film critic always pops up on those talking head documentaries about the uh, uh, the Mario Bava films or especially you know the early days of punk because you know he used to work in um, uh, Malcolm McLaren and uh, Vivian Westwood's sex 
clothing store. He um, he knew Sid Vicious, so he always pops up on that. And in the mid '80s, not only was he film critic for Starburst, but he used to work part time in Forbidden Planet. Okay. Um, <laughs> Back when there were two Forbidden Planets, because you yes. had the original one, yeah. Forbidden Planet One was still in Denmark Street, yeah. um, and that sold comics. And then if you went literally round the corner, you had Forbidden Planet Two, which was the film and TV yes. arm of it. Uh, okay, and uh, yeah, I, I used to uh, go in there, and I used to just stand at the counter and natter to him, and he was telling me all the gossip. And I think he quite liked the fact that I was a projectionist because I would tell him all you know technical problems that we used to have and stuff like that. And occasionally he would give me free tickets. All right. Right. Um, I, I, I know uh, we went up and saw RoboCop. That was a, a freebie press screening. Um, Star Trek Four. That was another one. And he gave me a couple of tickets to go to the press screening of Aliens. All right. right. Um, so I had two tickets, and uh, I had a friend called Ian, also called Ian at the time, who worked at the cinema as well. And uh, we were going to go along and see it. And it, I know it was a Tuesday, all right? right. And it was an... E- so, sorry, this is a long rambling story, <laughs> but there is a point to it, all right? So it was on a Tuesday, and it was Tuesday night, okay? Right. It was the Tuesday evening show. And normally, where I was living at the time, we would catch the train up to Charing Cross, okay? Um, and as you know, Leicester Square's just up across yeah. from Trafalgar Square from there, right? Um, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't go up by train because the film was finishing at about 11 o'clock, something like that. And the last train back then was like half past 10 and we couldn't have made it. So we had to go by bus. All right. Bussing in London. Bussing in London. Mm. Yeah. And the problem we had was the last bus back was at about 20 past 11. All right. From Victoria Coach Station which is a underground train ride from, um, you know, Leicester Square, all right? So I said to Ian, all right, we can go, but what we've got to do, we've got to rush like mad. We've got about 15, 20 minutes to get across London from the film finishing. What we're going to have to do is, as soon as the lights come up, as soon as the credits start, we've got to leg it (laughs) down to the underground, catch a train, right? Yeah. So and that's quite safe back then. No, there was no uh, in credit sequences. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Once the lights come up, that's yeah. it. Film over. Like, it. We yeah. can go. Right. So the morning comes that Tuesday morning. The night before, I don't know if you remember this, but there were two press screenings. There was the big one in London, and then there was going to be a second one, and everybody else was on the second one. Right. And when we woke up that morning, opened the newspapers. And it was in all the national papers, the premiere had happened the night before. And outside the Odeon Leicester Square was the APC, right? right? And you had people dressed as colonial marines outside. So I phoned up Ian, it's like, take a camera. You know, this, this is going to yeah. be brilliant. This is gonna, we'll be able to take photos of all the props and stuff like this, you see. So that's it. We go on the bus. We go up in the afternoon. Uh, did our usual, you know, go around Forbidden Planet, did all our shopping and stuff, had an evening meal, go down to Leicester Square. We'd already gone through Leicester Square, and there was no APC, right? Mm-hmm. No sign. There was a big sign saying aliens and everything, but no sign of the APC, no sign of any costumes. Bit of a shame, but never mind, right? So, I am getting to the point here. I told you this is a long, drawn-out story. So, we go in, we watch the film, absolutely amazing, fantastic and everything, Lights come up at the end. Right, 
go. Yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah, so we, we have to go down to the embankment underground station, yeah. which is the station oh, next to Charing Cross Road. That is, a, yeah, that is a dodgy one. So we, we peg it, we leg it out of Leicester Square, down Charing Cross Road, down the hill at the side of Charing Cross Road railway station, down to the embankment, run down the, the escalators... My friend Ian, he's like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'll call my dad. I'll call my dad. It's like, no, come on, we can make this. We can make was this. He, was he doing a Vasquez? Go without me. <laughs> yeah, he was brother. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, we get down. The train is is literally just about to pull yeah. out of of the station, and I put my arm in to hold the door open. We get in. Train goes off. Well, <gasps> like this, you see. Yeah. To Victoria, and I was like, come on, we we had about five minutes before the bus was about to go as we pulled into the underground station, and the bus station is round the corner. So we run up the escalators, out, round the corner. The bus is literally pulling out, and it's like, no, 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 wait, 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 like this, you see. He stops, we get on, absolutely exhausted, go down, sit down, right? We've made it, we've made it, okay? We're recovering from this, and the, and the bus goes off, and goes down at the bottom of um, uh, Regent Street and at the bottom of Regent Street which is an area we hadn't gone through that day when we were wandering around was at the time Tower Records oh yes right by the Eros statue at Piccadilly right and as we go past we look at the window and in the window there's all the costumes the (laughs) marine costumes and everything it's like what 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 (laughs) there's nothing we can do about it and it's like oh no they were there all this time we could have had our photo taken go round and we're just recovering from the shock of that and we stupidly hadn't realized that the bus route actually stopped at trafalgar square the very place 20 minutes before we legged it across the bus stopped and people got on the bus talking about aliens so, so we had gone a lovely a lovely stroll from the cinema and yep. got on at the same point that we oh, <laughs> and we were like no way no way and yeah yeah they had watched all the credits and then had a quiet leisurely saunter down to the bus stop you know so yeah that's my story that's my story basically um yeah it was <laughs> did, you, did you not ever thought think i just get a taxi See, that didn't even occur to us. Yeah. We were just young and stupid, yeah. you know. Well, we didn't... I mean, to be fair, in the 80s, you, people of our social class, you wouldn't get taxes. No, it wouldn't occur like, to you. wouldn't no, know how wouldn't to occur. do it or how no, much it I would cost. Yeah, yeah, buses, trains or Shanks Pony, isn't it? That's, that's our choices. Knowing us, we would have spent all our money in Forbidden Planet and yeah. McDonald's and therefore we wouldn't have had any money for a taxi anyway. Well, I mean, you know, I, I've done it before where... I've missed last trains in London. You just end up wandering about until the morning. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Yeah, it's like because um, you not can't quite even... New York, but it's uh, yeah. There's places you can go at night in London. Yeah, I've I've tried it before, yeah. and I, I'm figuring the safest place is just sleep on a bench in the train station. Yeah, you get yeah. moved on. You do. You're yeah, not. They think you're, you're a vagabond. <laughs> they think you're a dosser. So yeah, you do. You literally have to walk around and, and get the milk train home. Yeah, I've yeah. done that before. But not that night. But uh, yeah, that, that that was my exciting story for you. And um, I'm presuming you enjoyed the film. Oh yeah, I loved it instantly. Yeah. Loved it. And you know the, the the joy of being a projectionist when is when it opened that following Friday. Um, you know, 
you get paid to just watch it over and over again. And yeah, I watch this film, the action sequences, the effect sequences, just over and over again, yeah. endlessly. See, so yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't know that because our, our cinema wasn't the cinema. I mean, this, this is this sort of dates everything, doesn't it? That back then, you know, only it, films would go to certain cinema chains, mm-hmm. um, yep. and it, like I say, it was the ABC got it. But I did because um, I went to the press scene and chatting with people. I did manage to get uh, a quad and some front of house stills. But the quad, I, I don't know whether, like if you're not from the UK, whether you're you had better posters. But our quad was just a black a black oblong with uh, this time it's war yeah and, and uh, the electric blue aliens yes. font That's which I was very was. happy to have but yeah. yeah it's the most boring poster in the world but um, the promotion on this film was just staggering because you probably when you was on your London underground trip and your buses you probably saw those posters everywhere I know I yeah. did when I went into London yeah. it was um, big this film was massive it was massive wasn't yeah. It? yeah and then we got the the wonderful uh, making of on ITV that seems rarer than hen's teeth mm, now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm still, I still prefer Alien, um, but I think Aliens, although it, it's not aged as well, it's probably one of the best action yeah. films going. They are two different beasts, oh, aren't they? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, what we're discussing today. I mean, there's so much change between the two films. Um, it's amazing, really, that they they sort of stand in the same universe because, yeah, it's it's a totally different vibe, feel. And this is back when sequels could be different. Because if they did, like now, you would, you would have just got a clone of Alien. You know, it, it, sequels can't show any uh, any difference now. They've got to be more of the same. Yeah. Um, but back then, yeah, it was you know they they gave a lot of money to a, a virtually untried American director and um, let him do what he wanted. Yeah, and and he did, and yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk about it in a second. You know, there is a great attention to detail in the opening yeah. scene, um, but no, he went his own, own way, and and yeah, so much the better for it. Yes. Yeah. Um, to the degree that you can't really compare the two, and that's what I do like about. Uh, um, the two films, you know. Yeah, I th- people. I mean, it annoys me when people say of anything which is better because that's a subjective view. You know, best, better, favorite. That's all down to you. Yes. Unless you're going to list criteria as to what better is, and, and you always get people saying, "Oh, which is the better film?" But it don't matter. They're both great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Enjoy them both. Indeed. All right. Um, and yeah, we're talking about Van Lewin today, and I thought we'd yes. talk about Van Lewin because um, he seems to be uh, the figurehead for the damn company. Yeah. Um, so I well, thought it, we would just talk yeah. about him and try and just figure out what's going on. Because the other, the other thing we've that's incredibly difficult is trying because at this point we're just looking at the company as portrayed in Alien and Aliens mm. and not all the baggage that you've got now of the the computer games, the other films the expanded universe um, and it's incredibly difficult because without that the, the, the view of the company is completely sort of different isn't it It's you, you can read a lot of what you want into it and, you know, are, are they evil or just 
I mean, I, I always say with corporations, it's never never put down to conspiracy that you can put down to incompetence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and I suppose perhaps that's what we, because I don't know your views on this at all. Is do you, do you view this as one huge conspiracy, or just a bunch of incompetent corporate hacks? I, th- I think it's what you say there. I mean, what we see in the first film, yeah. I mean, it's just the damn company, yeah. um, and we do have the logo. Um, it's down to uh, Mr. Cameron to um, yeah. extrapolate from that and, you know, build up from that and, and give it the name. I mean, it was it did have a name, didn't it? Although you it, don't yeah, see you it don't, in Alien. You don't see it, but it did have a name, and it was um, Wayland, wasn't it? No, no, it's... No, it's Waylon. Waylon. It's, for some death, reason, yeah. James Cameron decided to put yeah. the D on the end. Yeah. And there was no Yatani no. in the first one. Uh, and we sort of, we mentioned this uh, where last we spoke. And there's a, the, the first film is, is definitely the product of a Brit. And the second film is definitely the product of an American. Because in the first film, it's, it's quintessentially British that the company you work for is a damn company mm. yeah it's, it's such a british ideal even even if you love your job you're, the the company is always the damn company isn't it it's yeah the, the damn yeah. firm you work for they're always out to get you no matter what. Yep, yeah yeah you have that from parker you have the resignedness yeah. of dallas saying that i've just do yeah. what i'm told yeah you know it, it, it's it's a classic a classic sort of british viewpoint that i think um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, they, because I suppose, let, let, let's, let's see if we can picture together where we got to from this point, because we know that, we know that at some point, someone in the company, uh, picks up what is thought to be a distress call, but is actually, a uh, you know, quite, a, as they say, quite a specific warning. Mm-hmm. Um, they then for some reason uh, decide to send in or whatever ship is passing next, which happens to be this uh, commercial tug is going to go past so they decide to pop a robot on board um, before that just to make sure and they're going to send these people to investigate this signal and now Parker sort of he thinks it's it's done for like the weapons they want it for the weapons mm-hmm. division, um, but I don't think Ash doesn't really say that, does he? He doesn't say what they wanted it for, just that they wanted to investigate, hmm. bring back life form. Yeah, bring back that was the his life instruction. Form. Um, I'm not entirely sure what use the aliens are as weapons. Here's a question, right? I mean, I think I think we get an inference of an answer in Aliens, but is in in the time of alien had an alien species ever been discovered before well in alien no because they're they're absolutely astonished that it might be a an alien signal now i know in aliens they say you know the, the marines say um you know is this a stand-up fight or another bug hunt mm. now evidently and i didn't know this but i was watching some stuff earlier today doing a bit of research and and evidently the the expanded universe thing is that this this I have to say inept platoon of uh, of colonial marines evidently fought some insectoid 
non-intelligent grain bugs or something. It's the first I've heard of this, so perhaps other people know more about it. Um, but that, that was the only other aliens they've encountered. The only which, other one. Yeah, which is, is weird. Um, and that's why they've got the bug stump stuff. But I don't know how, how true that is or whether that's just expanded universe nonsense. It does sound expanded universe, yeah. a novel or a yeah. graphic novel or something. I mean, I don't like that personally because then the Colonial Marines, it's like Starship Troopers. Yes, yeah. Thing. Which is sort of what they were vaguely based well, on. Well, James Cameron was yeah. a, a, a big fan of the book, wasn't yeah. he? You know, part yeah, of the basis of the Colonial Marines is the uh, the mobile yeah. infantry in Starship he probably, Troopers. He, he probably wouldn't admit that now with the current viewpoint of uh, Robert Heinlein. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I much prefer the idea that aliens don't exist in this universe up to this point because it mm. makes it makes a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think certainly in Alien, aliens didn't exist. Aliens, mm. the species, or not aliens, the film. Um, but yeah, in in this one, you do get the feeling that that they they've come up against alien species before but just nothing this vicious mm. um, yeah and and of course in aliens i mean that's why we're talking about van lewin today mm. i mean we have the idea of the you know the Wayland uh yutani company is yeah. this all in companies all powerful yeah entity which is controlling so much i mean especially in the uh um, you know the director's cut of Aliens. I mean that bloody logo is absolutely everywhere yeah. in yeah. on the colony. Even on the kids' little tricycle bike, you've got a bloody Wayland Utani yeah. sign, haven't you? Yeah, I, I I much preferred it when it was just the company. So do I. That's what I'm saying. Thing. Um, yeah, the fact this this view that you know, I mean, because if if we extrapolate on later films and Alien versus Predator and that, I mean. In, Wayland Yutani knew all about aliens and predators well before, like hundreds of years before they sent the Nostromo. It's, it just makes no sense. No, no. Like, why would you even bother? Um, I just, I, I think it's more likely that this is, this is people like Carter Burke, even in the first one. This is, this is executives. This is like in RoboCop, isn't it? This is the uh, this is the executives who run a mark. Yeah. Um, which, if you've ever worked for a corporation, that's generally what it is. There's no cohesive uh, sort of overarching view. It's just lots of people doing their own things, and if it goes right, it's credited to the grand plan, and if it goes wrong, it's a wayward. Yeah, and know. and they have a scapegoat, exactly, which they're doing yeah. with with Ripley here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I prefer it just as the company. I don't want this Wailing Utani, which is the company, um, you know, that own the Nostromo, having a weapons division. They're a freighter company or something yeah. like that. They're a haulage company. Yeah, because, I mean, this was this was a thing that annoyed me as well in... Um, I mean, lots of things annoyed me, but in um, Jurassic World where they're saying the, these velociraptors and dinosaurs would be great as military weapons. No, they wouldn't. They're <laughs> awful. And the aliens the same. The best you could do with the aliens would be to dump them on a planet that you don't like and bugger off. But you could never go back to that planet and you run the risk of it. it it's just the point. I think what, you know, 
There is a reason why armies throughout history didn't use lions or tigers exactly, as part yes. of their infantry. Yeah. You know, there yeah, is a they, reason for they, this. They tend to attack you as well. <laughs> yeah, no. um, yeah, it's it's a silly idea, but it's it's sort of it's now become so connected with the alien franchise that you can't ever. It's like as soon as as soon as. Whale and Jatani get a whiff of an alien, they've got to have it for their weapons division. Yeah. And I think it's a dead end. And I I think aliens killed the franchise. Not because it was bad, but because it was so good. So everything really about the franchise after that point is so connected to aliens yep. and its universe that we just get this we get this pointless dead end where we can't really go anywhere what they should have done and what you know originally that generally was the idea was the third film would have been you know someone else's vision and, and then and it was it was Vincent Ward's but yeah. they didn't and like that studio did they? interference was that we want aliens we want aliens again look at all the money it made I mean that that's the thing that that, that the evil corporation in this universe isn't Wayland Jatani, is it? It's 20th Century Fox. Absolutely. Um, it, that is the personification yeah. of the big corporations. Corporate yeah. greed, yeah. yeah. Corporate greed, yeah. yeah. All right, so Van Leeuwen then. Um, yeah. um, before we talk about his uh, scenes, um, we did this with Kane. Uh, do you happen to know his first name, Van Leeuwen? Uh, I do, because I saw it earlier, but I didn't before that. But evidently his name's Paul. Paul. Yeah, he looks yeah. like a Paul. I can he does look he's like a Paul. Paul, yeah. Did you see the backstory to him? And just, uh, no, just no, I purposely who he didn't is. read it. No. Right, I've got it here. Oh, right, um, right. Apparently, Paul Van Leeuwen is chairman of the Interstellar Commerce Commission. Okay. Right? And that is the central organization through which interstellar trade was conducted and monitored. Right? And it then says all trade vessels. I guess including the Nostromo, yeah. and crew members were requ required to hold an ICC license. Now, that is mentioned in the yes, deleted scene yeah. we will talk about shortly. They suspend um, Ripley's ICC license. Yeah. So you, you read this and it's like, oh, okay, Van Leeuwen isn't part of Wayland yutani yeah. He's this ICCC person. But then it says, the ICC was also responsible for enforcing quarantine procedures on all earthbound cargo and was owned and operated by, guess who, the Wayland yutani Corporation. See, that, that, throw, that itself throws up a bit of a quandary there, isn't it? Because if, if Wayland yutani are the people that want the alien, and Wayland yutani are also the people that would operate any quarantine or customs, why, why go to all this sort of cloak and dagger stuff? Yeah. Why not yeah. just... Wave them through uh, customs. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, we get a bit of fan wank coming up now because apparently ICC uh, had an engineering trade school uh, both on Earth and Mars. Okay. okay. Parker graduated from the Martian campus while Brett earned a degree in engineering at the school on Earth. Oh dear. Mm, as enough. I say. I mean, yeah. that's. That's a bit of. Is that is that anywhere in the, in this film or is that? No, just, no. I don't know if it's in some I, I you know spin-off book yeah, or. I was what. I was watching one of the uh, Alien Theory videos earlier, and um, 
I, I was just watching it, mouth agape. They were sort of going about um, talking about the characters in Alien. They go Ellen Ripley, and they're, they're going on about um, while she was doing this thing, um, she was paid this amount of money because her, her wages were dropped because was it uh, what <laughs> what. <laughs> Uh, mm. Yeah, it's a bit of a minefield. The yeah. uh, the fan fiction and all, and also you know the the authorized and therefore canonized books, yeah. novels, comic books, and stuff like that. No, let's just stick pure, shall we? Let's stick with yeah. the films. Um, so, all right. Well, we'll get into the film now then. Um, um, and uh, so, I thought before we talk about. Van Lewin, we'll just talk about the opening because this is the yes. opening salvo from you and I about aliens. So the opening shot, the opening scene where we see uh, the Narcissus, um, this opening um, is always a, um, a surprise to me that James Cameron shot it in widescreen rather than the scope of Alien. Um, and But you look into it and it's because... I mean, even though, you know, what they got on screen was fantastic, the budget wasn't that big. And, um, you know, they simply didn't have the cameras in the film stock no. to actually have, you know, it filmed in CinemaScope. Yeah, because it's, um, uh, yeah, a- Aliens is 1.85 to 1, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Alien was classic 2.35 to 1. Um, and also the film stock. I mean, the, the 80s had... Late seventies, early eighties, film stock was really weird, wasn't it? Because everything looks incredibly grainy. But yes. this film is especially so. You compare it to Alien, which looks pristine. Um, you compare even the best, you know, Blu-ray print of this film. It's grainy as hell. But it was grainy at the cinema. Yes. You know. Right. Um, yeah. It was. It was a strange-looking film in that regard. But I do think it adds to it. Because well, yeah, sort of a yeah, yeah, you know, widescreen films are, are you know, uh, they give you an idea of claustrophobia, yes, don't they? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah, you know, um, and I think it works to its advantage when we're in the colony and, you know, crawling around well, in ducks yeah, and very, things. It's very difficult. I mean, um, Ridley Scott in Alien, he he handled the widescreen, the, you know, the, the cinemascope screen really well in the there's lots of panning shots and there's not really that any action in it but action films especially films that require something to surprise people or jump out don't work really in in very wide scope because like you say that the audience sees what it is well before the person does in a long shot um so yeah i think it makes sense to to keep it claustrophobic and it is a, a wonderfully claustrophobic film yeah yeah you know. so yeah we have this opening as i say um, uh, great yeah. score by James Horner. This is one of my favourite ones, even though he rehashes things over and over uh, again. But to, to, I mean, I, I've got a love hate with James Horner. So yeah, this is this is a great score. Parts of it are obviously the James Horner theme that he uses in Star Trek Two, Battle mm-hmm. of the Stars, Willow, everything else he's ever done. The other thing that really annoys me with this is the uncredited use of uh, music from Two Thousand and One. Oh yes, um, yeah. Uh, which itself, I mean, it wasn't written for two thousand one. It was a classical, but the fact that on the, you know, on the LP, the the score, this is listed as James Horner's composition, and it's like bollocks, is it? <laughs> that's that's uh, almost criminal. Um, and also, as soon as I hear it, 
because I love 2001. As soon as I hear it, it pulls me out of the film. So when you watch this opening bit and you get that little riff yeah, of music, I, I, are you muttering bollocks as you're, I am, uh, as you're watching? Yeah, bollocks. you're fucking <laughs> There's a mental image. Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, we have the Narcissus. We see the Narcissus. Yes. I've got a little bit of information on um, behind the scenes yes. uh, about what they had to do for this Narcissus. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, James Cameron studied Alien. Um, and I do like... Uh, when we go inside the Narcissus, I mean, it's an almost yeah. exact replica of it the interior yeah, from the it's first got, film. It's, it's got every all, all the all the action that happened in the the end of that one. There's representation in this one, isn't there, of it, which is is great. Like lovely attention to detail. Yeah, especially I like the um, the harpoon gun still yeah. wedged in the door at the bottom. Um, Ripley's harpoon gun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we get a proximity alert. Yes. And um, I, I've always loved the fact that we don't see the entirety of this salvage ship. Um, just this, like, docking area as the Narcissus goes yeah. up to it. Um, well, it's, yeah, I mean, the, fir the first time, so again, it's difficult to go back because once you've watched it, you know what's happening. But the first time, you don't know what this ship is, you don't know what it is. And then we get that absolutely wonderful sort of silhouette outside the window and then the, the great sort of thermic lance bit. And then the, the, the tracking thing that comes in, um, you immediately think, oh, it's an alien? Oh, no, it's all right, it's not. It's, yeah. it's really cleverly done. Yeah, James Horner's music especially, um, we are supposed to think that these are aliens. This, yeah. is, th th this is not human, whatever's coming in. Um, and, you know, when that uh, arm comes in and we do have the laser, I always remember watching this in the cinema because I think we had only had Dolby Stereo oh, put yeah, in for correct. about a year. Yeah. All right. So, and when that laser scans around, yeah, when um, it sweeps over you, as the it audience. went up on the surrounds. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to stand there, always enjoying when a film yeah. actually used surround sound because it was such a new a occurrence film, for us. It? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I like these guys coming in. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's a salvage ship because they say, "There goes our salvage guys." So I guess they don't work for Waylon Yutani, No, I think this thankfully. is a, a, a separate... I mean, at, at some point, I suppose, um, we'll get... There probably is the backstory to all these guys, and they probably do in some way end up connected to Waylon Yutani. Um, but no, I think they're just... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have thought, even at this point in the future, that I wouldn't have thought... I mean, space is big, as someone famously said. I wouldn't have thought it would have paid them just to tootle about trying to find spaceships and that no but yeah they're like they, they obviously they don't think there's anyone on board um, and they're quite surprised when they find uh, Ripley and that you know she's still got life signs yeah well the, the, the whole you know probability of her being found and everything I think yeah. we'll save that for our Carter Burke yes yeah episode so we'll move from that to the board meeting Yes, and um, I always have wondered um, this board meeting that she has with Van Lewin and all the others is that Gateway Station or is that on Earth? I, I always thought it was going to be on Earth but I read this morning everything is meant to be on Gateway Station but then Ripley is meant to be living on Gateway Station and I just assumed she got carted down to Earth and no, her horrible block yeah. of flats was on Earth <laughs> 
It does look like a block of flat. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've delivered televisions to places like that <laughs> yeah. quite a bit. Um, no, uh, James Cameron says on the audio commentary, no, this yeah. is Gateway is Station, yeah. and he, he finds it interesting that Ripley never, ever, ever got to go back to Earth. She got no. close at the end of Alien Resurrection, um, but uh, no, she never goes back to Earth, does she? No. Um, this is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> There's a dump. I can remember the thrill of watching this for the first time. I mean, we've got this board meeting, and we yeah. get a black and white oh, steel oh, of Parker. Yeah. Just yeah. to have Parker back. A bloody hell, yeah, it's, it's Parker. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love, I love, um, I love this little sequence because it it's so nice to see these guys again. Um, even though, even if it is all just a publicity still. <laughs> Yeah. From yeah, it, you, you yeah. do wonder. I mean, who took yeah. this photo? Is this yeah. their official ICC, you know, photo? Yeah. You know, is it lucky that that their official ICC photo just happens to be in the clothing they're wearing in the first? Yes, film? and and they're clearly on the Nostromo yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, we also get a lot of information about Parker. But I thought we'd save that for the Parker. Yes. Yeah, episode. I think we should save them for each character. Um, yeah, on when. When I paid out a, a absolutely vast amount of money to get the um, the laserdisc box set of this film, um, it actually transcribed all of oh, did it all of it? Yeah, and it was I can't remember a lot of it, but there's some fascinating stuff. There's like some that, curious information. You know, I didn't know that was on the laserdisc as as yeah. as late yeah, ago as that. Yeah, it's um, it's like uh, they it's not I, there's shots of it, but is they transcribed the Oh right, the, the data on it. Yeah, it's quite quite interesting. But it's all it was not obviously not ever meant to be done that way. It's just throwaway guff. Yeah, I mean now yeah. you know yeah. um, we can pause it and you can read an awful lot of that park yeah. stuff is there. But of course, the first time I, I ever owned this, it was oh, an yes, ex rental, yes. which would have been pan and scanned. So I don't think you would have seen much of that text well, at all. So when, the first the first time I owned this, which was so I rented the. Uh, the cassette um, in that horrible little box CBS ones they used to do, um, and uh, I didn't have two VHSs at the time. One of them had broken, so I had to do it in half-hour segments onto a a, <laughs> a a thirty-minute cassette on a camcorder on an old Sony brick camcorder, then copy that back onto a tape, then copy it onto the, over top. Oh, the quality. Yeah, so the quality was like <laughs> third generation, and every half hour, it, there would be a little gap. Oh, good grief! But yeah, it was a way of owning the film. Yes. Yeah. Know? Yeah. All right. I um, watched it to death as well. Didn't, didn't we all? Yeah. Um, and yeah, this meeting it seems has been going on for three and a half hours. Yes. Um, I wonder what because I don't know what they're talk. They've been talking. I mean, I have been in meetings that feel like they've gone on for three and a half hours. But what have they been talking about? Because we hit it at the relevant point. Yes. Well, they, we hit it at the relevant point yeah. because somebody says, and I don't think it's Van Lewin, but somebody says they want to go back over the events of yeah. the Destruct Order. And that's when our boy speaks up. Yes. I'd just like to go uh, back to this point about the override Destruct Order. Is it in the file? I don't understand this. We have been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Look at it from our perspective, please. Please. 
Now you freely admit to detonating the engines of and thereby destroying an M-Class Star Freighter, a rather expensive piece of hardware. Forty-two million in adjusted dollars. That's minus payload, of course. The lifeboat's flight recorder corroborates some elements of your account, in that for reasons unknown, the Nostromo set down on LV-426, an unsurveyed planet at that time, that it resumed its course and was subsequently set for self-destruct by you for reasons unknown. Not for reasons unknown. I told you. We sat down there on company orders to get this thing, which destroyed my crew and your expensive ship. The analysis team, which went over the lifeboat centimeter by centimeter, found no physical evidence of the creature you described. Good. That's because I blew it out of the goddamn airlock. Like I said. Are there any species like this hostile organism on LV-426? No, it's a rock. No indigenous life. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? Ma'am, I already said that it was not indigenous. It was a derelict spacecraft. It was an alien ship. It was not from there. Do you get it? We homed in on its beacon. And found something never recorded once in over 300 surveyed worlds. A creature that gestates inside a living human host. Yes. These are your words. And has concentrated acid for blood. That's right. Look. I can see where this is going, but I'm telling you that those things exist. Thank you, Officer Ripley. That will be all. Please, you're not listening to me. Kane, the crew member, Kane, who went into that ship, said he saw thousands of eggs there. Thousands. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. Van Lewin, him of the uh, horribly 1980s suits. Oh, well, I've got information on the suits in behind yeah, the scenes yeah. as well. Um, but he's quite a nice person. He, he yeah. asked Ripley to please see it from their he, point of view. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they all, this, this doesn't feel like an evil corporation. I mean, it could be that it's just a, a front, but I, don't, I can't see that because why would they bother? They don't care about Ripley's view of them. I, I, yeah, I think at this point, the company is just a company, it's a corporation, and Van Leeuwen certainly seems to be um, okay, isn't he? He seems quite chatty, he's not, I don't think he's judged her, or particularly cares about judging her, because it's not his job to do it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I think he's okay. I mean, the, um, the, the sort of the woman with the weird bob haircut, she seems a bit officious. But they all, they all seem like just corporate non-entities, really, don't they? There's nothing evil no. about them. Looking at her now, I'm always mm. reminded of the um, that little lady in uh, The Incredibles. Yes, yeah, the uh, costume maker. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's there, yeah. he's Isn't there. Isn't it weird, though, that like I accept in Alien that everyone's smoking in a spaceship? It, seems, it just seems feels so, so wrong, because I suppose I've been in so many meetings. It feels so wrong for people to be smoking in a meeting. Well, anything, any smoking yeah. now, you know, um, you know. It's bizarre, isn't it? That's it, what's dated the film. It's dated everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, you watch Thunderbirds and they're all yeah. smoking away. True. You know, it, it is very weird. 
Um, so yeah, you've got Van Leeuwen, you've got that lady, you've got another lady, yeah. you've got Burke, and five more guys in their silly yeah. turned-up collars. Yeah, I don't like these. Um, they've obviously tried to make it a little bit futuristic, but somehow it's made it seem even more 1980s. I mean, a cut of Burke's haircut doesn't help, but yeah, the, these upturned collars, just, no, they don't do it for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we I think we said when we were talking about Alien, you know, it's timeless. There's nothing yes. in there. There's no flares. There's nothing that sets it in the 70s. But, yeah, yeah these these so collars 80s, are yeah. very 80s. Carter Burke's hairdo is very 80s yeah. as well, you know. Um, mm, yeah. Um, all right, so we, we, we've got these people. Um, we learned that the Nostromo was an M-class star freighter, um, yeah. which... Is very Blake Seven to call something a star freighter. Star freighter, yeah, very much. And we find out it, in adjusted dollars it was worth forty-two million. That doesn't seem a lot now. Right, I've I've been looking into this. Okay, uh, forty-two million doesn't buy you much <laughs> no. at all. Um, would you ha- hazard to guess how much a U.S. aircraft carrier costs these days? I, you got to be talking about billions, surely. I would have thought thirteen and a half billion. Yeah. You know, that's mad, isn't it? Yes, uh, forty-two million will buy you an apartment in New York City. Oh, very good. Yeah. So the Nostromo was worth uh, probably a shabbyish apartment. Do you think it's telling that it, it says they say forty-two million in adjusted dollars? So maybe in this time period, you know, a dollar is considerably smaller. It could be than what been, it is now. Yeah, they might have. Uh, position the dollar I yeah I always took it that they mean and it, it means it the, almost the other way that um, this is 42 million in today's money not your 70 years ago <laughs> rubbish Ripley this is today 42 million yeah it it's because obviously then that was a big amount yeah it would have but to be now, billion yeah. now wouldn't it oh, 42 it billion billions, yeah. I guess yeah well, alright unless, unless space travel was just so common you know in in ripless time but yeah i mean even a, a tugboat now is going to cost you more than that that's yeah. a boat isn't it? yeah okay well he also says van lewin also says that the narcissus flight recorder backs up yeah. that the nostrobo yeah some of the some. things yeah went wonder, down to- I'd, yeah i'd love to know i'd love to see that flight recorder as to what what it's doing because I'm presuming it's it's connected to the Nostromo mother system, mm-hmm. because otherwise, if it's just what the the Narcissus is recording as far as scientific data, it's not going to be a lot, is it? No. I mean, it would it's not, it's surely not a black box. see that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would think. You know, if it's if it's the black box recorder, the Narcissus, that only tells you the status of the Narcissus. Yeah, which is going to be. Not doing anything. Not doing anything. Not doing anything. Oh, it's been launched. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all that happens as far as the Narcissus knows. Um, it must have been connected to Mother, but then I suppose this brings into question as to how big was this conspiracy and what. So do you do you go do you buy that that they they've been given all the data and it doesn't show it doesn't corroborate anything like that because Mother had 
excise that beforehand? Or do you think that it did show and backed up everything Ripley says, but this evil meeting... I think that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, Yeah. people do know it about it, you know. And, And, yeah, I reckon that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. And, you know, Alan Dean Foster... Yeah. First, first, first time we've mentioned him uh, today um, in his novel of it um, when the um, uh, the woman starts shaking her head and saying no 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 it's a rock you know yeah. um, uh, where, where where did she say it, it it's in this meeting that we find out that it's called LV426 yes yeah um, yeah Ripley says yeah. Then somebody's gotten to it and doctored the recorder. A yeah. competent tech could do that in an hour. Who had access to it? That's and that's when, that, yeah, that's, and that's when the lady yeah. says, "No, nah, isn't uh, there's nothing. It's a rock." Yeah, yeah. It's a rock. yeah. Um, when when that Van Leeuwen is talking about the the flight recorder, yeah. saying about you know, set down on the planet, took off again. At one point, you can see one of the guys is actually filling in a crossword. Oh, right. Under the table, yeah, yeah. If if, if you watch, there's Fair a panning dance. shot across the table, and he's surreptitiously got a newspaper under the table when he's filling in a crossword. Which well, this, if, this again shows then that this is this isn't a big cover up. This is a boring old meeting, isn't it? No yeah. one's really. They're just going through this. the motions. Yeah. They already know what the outcome's yeah. going to be. They've got to be there to tick all the right boxes yeah. to say that they've done it. You know, it's just that's formality most, for them. I was isn't say, it? To be fair, that's most most meetings I've ever been in. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, the smoking woman says there's no indigenous life. LV four two six has been surveyed, um, but if it's been surveyed, surely the derelict would have been found well, it, unless they know about the derelict now. Yeah, this is um, this has always been my issue with with you have to sort of just accept a lot of things here. Because we know from Alien that this is a tiny, tiny, tiny planetoid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, you could walk around it. You know, the the, the day cycle is two hours, um, and yet they've set up this atmospheric processing station, put all these. I don't, well, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know whether they work, whether they're mining or whether they're actually just working on the atmospheric processing thing. But these workers are there. They've surveyed it all. They've got wildcat settlers that are going about. This is like, this is, this would be like there being a, an abandoned truck full of gold in your village, Eric. And for 70 years you've been living there, or 20 years you've been living there, and you've never noticed it. Mm. How has this derelict not been found? Mm. It's been ages since I've seen uh, seen the, uh, the special edition, but... Um... When the uh, Newt's family are yeah. sent out, are, are they sent out because it's been found, or do they stumble across it? They, so they've been sent to coordinates that Burke has given them, that Ripley said they were there. Um, ah, and they've right. been sent out to investigate it. So then 100% the survey has not found that derelict no. before. Which I suppose you could say it's an incompetent survey, but this this also brings into question, if Whale and Jatani were desperate to get the alien and they knew about it for years and this they wanted it for their weapons, they were willing to sacrifice all these people. Why wait was, till now? Yeah, why was the colony set up there? Was it because they wanted to go? Why in that case wouldn't they have found it by now? Yeah. None none of it really makes sense. But 
from a story point of view, it, it was they just wanted a way of getting families involved. Mm. But it doesn't really bear fruit unless you go with the it Wayland Jatani isn't this big evil corporation. It's just you know, it was one one perhaps one executive that did this and they uh you know, as soon as, as soon as the uh, Nostromo didn't come back, they went. Eh, I'm going to bury this. Yeah, because yeah. that explains the the, the woman. She says yeah. in over 300 worlds, surveyed yeah. worlds, they've never found anything like it. But that's that company. That doesn't mean no other life forms have been no. found. It's just in their opinion, you know, yeah. they haven't found anything like that. You know, and I like that that this isn't the big all-encompassing multi-conglomerate thing yeah. that Wayland you. Utani eventually does become in the film. Well, eventually, eventually taken over by Walmart. Yeah, oh, God, that was a good line, wasn't it? Oh, that just got grains that did in the cinema. Yeah. So Ripley knows where all this is going. She yes. knows this is just a formality. She knows, you know, they're not going to listen to her. And um, Van Wait, Wyn- well, One question. Perhaps we should save it for Ripley. But in this, why is she a lieutenant suddenly? Why is she an officer? She was a warrant officer. Mm, in the true. Place. Why is she suddenly a lieutenant? Does that actually serve any purpose in the film? Her no, rank? I, no, I it mean, doesn't, does it? Van Leeuwen calls her Officer Ripley, which even that's weird. That sounds more like a police terminology. You don't you don't call military people officers. You know, you don't say officer such and such. You call them by their rank. Officer is a. Mm. Um, but yeah, it it doesn't serve any purpose. I don't know why they bothered changing it. No. So, Ripley has her outburst. Yes. Um, I um, love... My favourite little scene is the, the one where she picks up the sheaf of paper. She goes, all of this, all of this bullshit. And the, the little guy, he's like, I want my paper back. <laughs> he's reaching up for it. And you, you just know he's thinking, oh, if I, I'm going to have to write it all again. Mm. I love that a little bit. Yeah. And I, I, I like in the original version how, you know, her outburst just ends with the yes. file status closed caption up on the screen but of course yeah there's a deleted scene yes isn't there it is the finding of this court of inquiry that warrant officer e ripley noc 14472 has acted with questionable judgment and is unfit to hold an icc license as a commercial flight officer said license is hereby suspended indefinitely Now, no criminal charges will be filed against you at this time, and you are released on your own recognizance for a six-month period of psychometric probation to include monthly review by an ICC psychiatric technician. These proceedings are closed. Could have been better. Look, I think the Ripley. Van Lewin, why don't you just check out LV 426? Because I don't have to. There have been people there for over 20 years and they never complained about any hostile organism. What do you mean? What people? Terraformers, planet engineers. They go in, set up these big atmosphere processes to make the air breathable. Takes decades. It's what we call a shake and bake colony. How many are there? How many colonists? I don't know, 60, maybe 70 families. Do you mind? 
in that deleted scene, um, Van Lewin gives his verdict uh, yeah. that they find NOC 14472 Ellen Ripley is guilty of acting with questionable judgment and is unfit to hold an ICC license. Now, she's not on criminal charges, she's not going to be prosecuted, but she's got six months of psychotherapy to look forward yeah. to. Um, I don't really need to know that bit. You get no. it fine with the file status closed. Yeah, it's, you, you don't need it spelled out to you. Um, it's also a bit a bit weird because if you imagine this is um, that this is a, a you know a modern tugboat that's gone missing or something, why would they put her on psycho evaluation? They've basically just taken her flight license away and said, you know, you're, you, we don't want you anymore. Mm. They've not said, we're taking it away temporarily while you go undergo this. So what, what authority would they have to make her undergo psychiatric evaluation? What's she got to gain from I just don't, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, it, it adds more questions than it solves. Yeah. So I can see why they cut it. Yeah, I prefer also, it Also, you're watching a film called Aliens. You want to get onto the Aliens Yeah, action, there's that as well, yeah. You know, do you think anyone in the audience was, was going, oh, that regulation she broke? <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, so they all get up to go to leave. Um, yes. But Ripley, of course, um, that's not the end for Ripley. Uh, she incepts Van Lewin. Um, and just says, well, go there, check it out, yeah. you know, see if I'm a liar, go and check it out. And he says quite smugly, we don't have yeah. to, you know. Yeah. Might have worth bringing that up in the meeting, mate, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. When, when she said about it, go, well, we've had settlers there for 20 years. and. Uh, yeah, but then we don't get this yeah. exchange, do we? Yeah. Um, and he's quite good, he is quite smug, and he goes, yeah, you know, I like we, it. yeah, we've got planet shake engineers, and shake yeah. and bake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, how many, she goes, how, how many people were there? And that's when he says, you know, 60 to 70 families. Yeah. And that's when we get our reaction of families and Jesus, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. And Kids he goes and he goes off and go, goes to the lift. Yeah. Um, and that's the end of him, right? That's the last time we see him. Um, what do you think happened to Van Lewin when, you know, the events of what happened on LV426 comes back um well i i think he's all right because it, it appears all he's doing is doing this here in any i imagine it would be unless he was somehow burke superior um i think he's all right because they will and, want a scapegoat yeah. you know you've yeah. worked for big companies oh, God, yeah. if something goes wrong there's got to yeah. be someone to blame and it's never got, ever yeah. the upper bods is it no you've got it's got to be someone that's high enough that blaming them is sort of believable. It's no good blaming the tea ladies, um, and they've got to be low enough that you can sack them and blame them. Mm. It's not going to upset the board or anything. So yeah, I I can see that he probably would end up getting scapegoated. I like to think he would have blamed one of those other nondescript. The guy with the crossword. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I think, it would be Burke's boss. Enough, yeah. Yeah. The big question is. Is Van Lewin Burke's boss? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't get ever get any feeling on that. No, we'll talk about this yeah. more when we um, yeah. feature Burke. Hmm. All right, so uh, that's Van Lewin gone. All right. Yeah. So short but sweet. Short but sweet. So yeah, behind the scenes, as I say, I've yeah. got information. All right. Um, the opening scene. Um, yeah. First of all, the old Narcissus there. Um, 
as I say, you know, they, they beautifully recreated the interior of the Narcissus, um, trying to match it as closely as they yeah. can, but also with the model work as yeah. well. The model in Alien was a false perspective thing. No, it? there were two models. You had the yeah, actual, yeah. yeah, the physical one, and then you've got the Miss Piggy one, yeah. which was the false perspective one. That's when you see it face on, when you see Ripley preparing yes. in the cockpit. That's that's a Phil Ray creation. He cre- he created the Miss Piggy, yeah, false perspective one. But no, the full full length one, the four or five foot model, that was built by, you know, Martin Bauer and Bill Pierce and Phil Ray and, and others. But I, I don't know what happened to it. It either was stolen or it was smashed or whatever, but it didn't exist when they come to do Aliens. Went to that great skip in the sky. It certainly did. So, um, yeah, so a, a guy by the name of Jay Roth, he, he, he was a model maker. He was commissioned to construct a new one, um, and he was having to go off of um, any... Uh, of drawings that were still around and lots of photos. I guess he got our um, good old Alien the photo novel. Yeah, I think there is to a study. there is a, a behind the scenes shot somewhere where he's because I think it was made out of perspex, wasn't it? And he's doing something on it, and I'm sure that book is open on the desk or whatever. I yeah, I wouldn't phone, be surprised. But yeah. but yeah, he made it, and then it that was passed to Pat McClung. Um, who once it was shipped to to Pinewood, he did more detailing, especially around the window area, and um, yeah, and so that's that. That's the one there, yeah, and then very it, colourful starscapes in that opening sequence. Well, it's funny you should say that because that's my next bit of info. Oh, yeah. uh, Bob Skotak, uh, one of the Skotak brothers, who were the model making yeah. overseers. I got a quote from him. He says, uh, "In the beginning of the shot, there's a dense nebula behind the ship." Jim wanted to use that nebula as a means of creating perspective lines that sort of converged. This is exactly the same thing that they did in The Empire Strikes Back in the asteroid field. They that they figured that you 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 never knew where you were and they what they had to do was put in like in the far distance a, a horizon line of asteroids so as the millennium falcon tilted your mind yeah 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 yeah, yeah does uh, works it out. And he says um there's a dense nebula behind the ship. Jim wanted to use that nebula as a means of creating perspective lines that sort of converged. Then, as the camera tilted down, he wanted the feeling of looking into a hole. So there was another nebula with lines going downward. Based on Cameron's description, Skotak produced a colour sketch that was then turned over to Arkadon, where Dennis Lau produced a final piece of artwork that served as a matted background for the motion control model. Okay? No. Yeah, and then uh, regarding the salvage ship that we see a bit of, it says uh, during this is Bob Skotak again. Uh, during pre-production, Jim went around with a camcorder and made video storyboards for most of the effect scenes using very crude little mock-ups of the ships, just pieces of foam core and things, and having people walk them through the shots. One weekend on one of the stages, he found a big jet engine from somewhere that he thought looked interesting. So he hot glued a lot of little sticks and so forth coming out of this thing, and Jim used it as the salvage ship for his final video storyboard. And that actually became the basis of the final design, at least the underbelly, which is all you see. Bob Skotak took a 4x8 piece of plywood, basically tabletop size, and drew out a large opening with a smaller one next to it, made some 
design sketches and then turned it over to Fasil Karim, one of our model makers, to detail it. Fasil went off on his own and after a while, while came back with a really nice piece of work. All right. So that's the Narcissus bit done, okay? okay. Uh, then the other bits I've got is, looking at your notes, Eric, looking at your notes. Yeah, the, the robotic arm that comes yeah. in, um, there, there wasn't the budget for it. As I say, the budget wasn't that big. And Gail Hurd said to him, well, if you want it, you've got to pay for that out of your own pocket. So he hired that robot arm um, out of like his own money. It does, it does. And actually, um, you reminded me just then, um, the, the Waylon bit turning into Wayland, I've, I've got a, uh, a, a vague memory of it being based on British Leyland. You know, oh, right. to, yeah. to have like a British sounding, you know, corporation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, and also, I mean, that's not a coincidence that the, the laser that scans the room is a blue laser because that's a total nod back to um, the original alien. Right. Okay. Um, I didn't know this, but the suits, the, the, the basic suits of the salvage team, they are suits from Outland. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And uh, that's rather funny because Outland, of course, is quite a notorious for, uh, for homaging alien yes. in, in all its look, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, that's the, the, the basic suits are from Outland and then they put Greeblies all over it and, yeah. and busied them up. The, um, the, the muck that's on Ripley's uh, sleep yeah, capsule. I can whenever work out whether it's meant to be ice crystals or what. I think it's meant to be ice, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but it's actually micro glitter. And full as earth. All right. Good old full as earth. Yes. Um, and then the uh, Van Leeuwen uh, section, it was Peter Lamont who was responsible for the design of the boardroom and the clothing. Yeah. And uh, they wanted a very minimalistic design, okay, and, um, and decided to do that with the costumes. Um, right. James Cameron says the characters are literally suits, so they just dress them in suits. In yeah. the future, these are suits, therefore they're wearing suits. Yeah, the, the, the chairs they're in look like um, automotive chairs mm. to me. They've got the holes in the top for the headrest, which they want to remove. Mm. Um, the suits always, to me, remind me of uh, 2001. I think it's just the cut of the suits. Yeah. Some of the suits you see up on the space station, I you know, so, yeah. where you I see Floyd. Space, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, in fact, but yeah, I mean, Floyd would have fitted in perfectly in this scene, wouldn't he? Floyd could be Van yeah. Lewin. Yeah. Couldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the actor. Uh, yes. The actor. Uh, Paul very, Maxwell. Very famous face that you go, oh, it's him. Yes, yeah. because he's, oh boy, oh yeah. boy, oh boy, he's been in tons. But before we go into what he's been in, um, he was born in 1921, right, yeah. in Winnipeg, Canada. Uh, he was born Maxim Popovich. Well, all right, and uh, he gradua graduated from Yale University with a master's degree in fine arts. He fought in World War Two in Europe with the Royal Canadian Artillery, and then got into acting. And as I say, um, yeah, he, he he was in an awful lot. I mean, he yeah. he did things in the states like Dragnet, Dragnet in the sixties, yeah. but then moved to the UK and he's one of these we were talking the other day about this he's one of the uh, stock 
American actors yeah. that you would have appear in tons of stuff. Yeah, you would. It, it's like you would you'd seek out Ed Bishop, and if you couldn't get him, you might get the guy that was in Faulty Towers, and if you couldn't get him, you'd probably get this guy or and, Shane Rimmer or Shane Rimmer. Yeah, yeah. although Shane Shane Rimmer, I think probably wouldn't be quite as cheap to hire because he he was at least a stalwart the Bond films and his voice was very well known mm. um, but uh, yeah this he, this guy is definitely it's weird that he's Canadian though isn't it that he's, he's token American yes yeah character and as I say I mean from the uh the early 70s onwards he crops up yeah. in tons he was in Danger Man The Saint The Baron Coronation Street that's odd to think of him in oh, Coronation yeah. Street Pink Panther Strikes Again A Bridge Too Far Emmerdale The Cuckoo Waltz <laughs> The Cuckoo Waltz and, uh, yeah, and The Return of Sherlock Holmes right and we said last time with Kane we think we've got our champ on the genre yeah. tally thing but I think <laughs> that was a short-lived uh, championship because I think old Paul Weir has out, outstripped him. Um, he's got a genre tally of 83. Wow. 83. How That's many of these times... Right, let's see how many you've uh, okay. of these you've seen Van Leeuwen in. Alright. Blood of Dracula. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who doesn't know what Blood of Dracula is, that's the one with the girl with the odd bat wing eyebrows. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, How to Make a Monster. Oh, that was um, oh, that was a teenage Frankenstein. Yes, the one. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, Paul, not Paul Blaisdell. It was a yeah. It, they just used the the costumes from the other films they, they were did. making at the time. Yes, yeah, I've yeah. seen that. One. Okay, you've done that one. Uh, the original, The Haunting. Yes. Yeah, I like okay. that one. Yeah. How many Fireball XL5s have you seen, though? I think I've seen them all. All right, that's 39. Oh, well, used to be on in the mornings. When yeah, of course, it's, he's Steve Zodiac, isn't yes, he? Uh, you know, the yeah. hero. I love the way the Jerry Anderson shows, you know, had such chiselled heroes. Yes. I mean, that chin of Steve Zodiac, you know. Oh, you could crack a planet with it, can you? You could. It's incredible we've got Van Leeuwen in this because, of course, you know, um, James Cameron very much had uh, the Derek Meddings... Uh, special effects in mind for the dropship. He was yeah. a big fan of Thunderbirds and he actually showed to the Skotak brothers and all the effects crew look, I want things to be in camera the same way this is yeah. done and he, he would show selected episodes of Thunderbirds to say look, this is what I want the dropship scenes to look I like. I wonder how uh, Steve Zodiac and the Fireball crew would have handled the aliens. Steve Zodiac. Uh, well, we've only seen two of them, that would have been good. Yeah. You only ever saw two aliens in five minutes of both. But I reckon um I reckon Professor whatnot, Matt Matip or whatever his name was, I think he would uh, he would have immediately found a neutralizing agent yeah. to allow Steve to shoot them all. <laughs> Alright, uh then he was in Thunderbirds twice. Yeah. Then he was in Thunderbirds Argo, the movie version yeah. of Thunderbirds. And then he was in a, a a curious film which I've so wanted to watch uh, again, and I've never been able to find it. Do you know what I mean when I talk about a film from the early seventies called It with an exclamation mark? Um, no, it doesn't ring a bell. I've never seen it for sale on DVD, Blu-ray, or even video. And I saw it late one night on BBC One in the early eighties, and it's like a modern retelling of The Gollum or Der Gollum um, oh, right. with Roddy McDowell. 
I think it's a, a Trigon film or an Amicus film. Oh, no, it doesn't ring a bell. It's sure. a retelling of the Gollum, and the Gollum yeah. in it was this pointy-headed version. And it was... I, I really enjoyed it. I've never... I never, ever seen mention of it. You know? No, I've never heard. I'm just looking it up now. 1967. Is it 67? I thought it was early yeah. 70s. No, 1967. Oh. Anger of the Gollum or Curse of the Gollum. Mm. Or Golem. Have you got an image of what the Gollum looks like? Uh, no. Have you got nothing images? On. No? Okay. Let's have a look. Oh, yeah, images. it must be 67 because the next thing was Captain Scarlet. Oh, I, I know the image. I know that image. It's like a tree creature. I've yeah. never seen it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, that, that image is in a few of the uh, the uh, compendium books. Yeah, the R. Allen Frank Park. books from yeah. the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, of course it's 67 because the next thing's Captain Scarlet, uh, where he did various voices 31 times. He was wow. in Captain Scarlet. Then into live action, we got the champions, um, Out of the Unknown. Um, Randall and Hopkirk. I don't remember him being in it, but he was in an episode of Randall and Hopkirk. The next one I definitely remember him in, in UFO, another Jerry right. Anderson show. He was Jim Lewis, the skydiver captain in yeah, Subsmash. Right. So you see him in in his string vest in yeah. that one. Um, then I'm he was sure in. I want to, to be fair. <laughs> then he was in Aliens, yeah. and then the last genre thing he did, and. I didn't know this, but uh, he's Panama Hat in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's the guy at the oh, beginning really? that yeah. Indiana Jones, um, you know, uh, is up against and blows up when the ship blows up. Yeah, wow. Is he still alive? Uh, no, I think I he don't died. I he blew up with the ship. <laughs> that wasn't the end of it. No, I, yeah. I, I, I think he's they no longer with us. realism in that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's blowing yeah. up all our yeah, the last time we see of him is just the hat floating on the water, this like white Panama hat. Yeah, that's him. That that's uh, yeah. that's Van Lewin in an Indiana Jones film. So he's been a busy lad. He was a very busy lad. Yes, yeah. Um, so I mean, we have no um, um, alien tally today because he's not an alien. So uh, we've had no alien thing, but we do have his alienness factor. Um, where what what would you give him out of ten in the alien world? He's a, he's a, he's nice, but he's a bloke in a suit. I mm. he's gonna. I'll give him a two and a half. He's not. He could fit anywhere, couldn't he? You wouldn't. If you say, show someone a picture of him in that suit and said, "What film is this from?" They're they're not going to guess it's a, a film about soldiers or even a science fiction aliens. film. No, no. So yeah, I think a two and a half. Oh right, that's very low. I I gave him a four, because he is below average. So there's nothing memorable about him. But no. I quite like his personality. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a such a small part. Though. It's um, yeah. But you don't get any feeling from him that he's nefarious no, or he's no, a nasty no. guy or anything. He's just doing his job, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's a bureaucrat. Okay. That's yeah, all. that's exactly it. He's a bureaucrat. Yeah, he's a nice bureaucrat. Um, bureaucrats don't take things personally. So. No. So that, that, that gives him 3.25 on our okay. scale, which will grow over time. We've yeah. only got two on it. We've got... And um, <coughs> no, knowing from our other podcasts where the first few episodes we woefully miss score everyone. Yes. Well, too high or too low. Our Doctor Who uh, yeah. score... A tally, which is considerable now. Yeah, there are yes. some at the bottom there that Make I think. No sense. <laughs> I, I think now they should bump up, yeah. seeing who they're uh, alongside. But at the moment, 
Okay, we've got Van Leeuwen with 3.25 and we've got Kane with 7.75. So, um, yeah, who knows where the next one's going to fit in? Somewhere between the two, I think. Yeah, when when we get to um, Alien Resurrection, I might regret giving him such a low score. We might have to bump Van Leeuwen up a bit, yeah. Well, yeah, before we get to Alien Resurrection, we've got Alien 3. Next time it's Alien 3, isn't it? Our first visit to Fury 161. Um... Where will this person fit in on that list? Because uh, we're going to look at the head of the place, Fury 161. Well, just about head of the place. Uh, Andrews. The Tetley T4. The Tetley T4 guy. Yeah, yeah. We're talking Brian Glover as Andrews next time. Wonderful, wonderful Brian Glover. Yep. But how wonderful was his performance and how wonderful was the character? So, yeah, join us uh, only in a few weeks. Uh, before we come back nowadays so uh, yeah join us in a few weeks when we'll talk about that all right yeah that'll be a good one i think we have things to say about alien 3 i mean yeah see this is the thing i do apologize for my ramble at the beginning of the show i promise next time for alien 3 i'm not going to have a an anecdote of that length i promise again this tends to happen as well it happened on the mad max is that the first time we visit a film we tend to ramble and yeah. give our backstories. We get and that then, out of the way, yeah, don't we? We do, yes. So don't worry, they do get shorter. Yes, <laughs> all right. Okay, folks, well, yeah, join us uh, when we come back for Andrews then, all right? Brilliant, good stuff. All right, see you then, Ian. Thanks, then. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.